0: Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to a new edition of It's Your Money, or as it's after Christmas, perhaps we should call it, It Was Your Money. On this edition, New Year, New You, it's the Spring Clean Your Finances edition. I'm Andrew Harrison and here to help me, as ever, covered in pine needles from taking down the tree, it's Andy Mayer. How are you?
1: Happy New Year to you, Andrew.
0: Happy Christmas, Happy New Year. Did you have a nice Christmas?
1: I had a lovely Christmas. Very peaceful, very relaxing. It was nice to have a break.
0: Very good. Obviously, Rishi Sunak had a late Christmas present for you now. Everybody's going to have to study maths until they're 18. Surely this is good news for a financial advisor.
1: Uh, I've broached that with my 18-year-old son. He didn't think it was as good news as you would think. I, I think we should be a very numerate society, but I think when political leaders like Michael Gove once thought everyone should do Latin, go off on their own tangents, I think we should leave the specialists to decide what is taught in school.
0: Well, I like the fact that he said uh, it's good because it's, uh, it means that everybody's going to be able to find the best mortgage deal for themselves. So when you're 18 and you know that you'll never be able to afford a house, you can look at the mortgage deals that you can't afford and find the best fantasy mortgage deal. Yeah,
1: here's what I could have would if I had the deposit and the salary to get it. I think, <laughs> I think it's a great idea to make the country more literate, more numerate, but I think, again, I would go back to teachers, and I think there are some great websites like Martin Lewis's that help people who may not feel literate or numerate already. But it's not just the headline rate people need to look at. You need to look underneath the bonnet. And I think, again, it's politicians shouldn't be getting involved in things like education. I would let the specialist, as an ex-teacher, I think the teachers and people who've been involved in education should be controlling the curriculum.
0: While we're on expertise, let's get into that issue of sorting out your finances in January. It's the traditional time of year to think about it not least because some of us are still doing our taxes and haven't put them in yet. <laughs> Andy's going to shout at me about that. What a shock. But Yeah, I know. Yeah, a busy man. But So, Andy, tell us, give us give us the broad brush then. It's January, it's horrible out, television's covered in adverts for <laughs> holidays. What should we be thinking of in terms of our financial disposition for the new year?
1: I think it's a really good idea to try and do a cash flow, which... As I say this, I know that sounds very, very difficult to achieve with every time you go to the supermarket to buy some food, it looks like someone's following you around the shop and increasing the prices. But I think it's a good time to look at what you're going to spend on holidays, what your outgoings are, what your incomings are, and making sure you haven't got anything that you don't know what it's there for in your direct debits and standard orders and just giving yourself a once-over financial check to see where you're going to be at the start of 23, because... Most people this week, some have worked from home in London because of the train strikes. Other people have gone back on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, none of us are in the midst of the work-life Whereas I think if you get chances this weekend to have a look over, you can make some better financial decisions than if you just let it drift.
0: Well, apparently we're going to need to because the FT says that UK households face a miserable 2023. They did a survey of leading economists who forecast that the country is going to experience a worse recession than most other advanced economies. They predicted a fall in real incomes, a drop in house prices, rises in unemployment and borrowing costs. So with all that laid out ahead, it's a lot to chew on for the for the average saver. Do we have to hunker down for a recession or should we just take a longer term view? I
1: think what you need to focus on is what you can control. So if you can control your expenditure in certain areas, control that. But I think it's very difficult, Andrew. We've lived in, in two years of the last three through a global pandemic where we couldn't go out. So to say to people, don't go out, don't spend any money, is an incredibly challenging thing for all of us to face because... We've had years where we weren't going out and now suddenly you wake up and go, I can go out, but I can't afford the cost of a pint. So it does become a challenge. But I think what I would urge people to do is to look at what their expenditure is and what they like doing, what they need to do. We always used to call it the latte effect. We used to see people get off tubes and go direct to Starbucks and get themselves a coffee, which are four or five pound a day now. Whereas you can probably bring in a flask and it's things that it doesn't sound a lot. And there's a lot of listeners on this, who don't need to worry about their expenditure. But it is ways of helping yourself spend money better.
0: I also tell myself that uh, I'm going out to support the hospitality industry <laughs> again.
1: Again, but, but again, it's like you go into London, it's £7.70 a pint in places. Yeah. And yet when I went up to the Celtic Real Madrid game, I went to a pub near Celtic Park called the Heal and Jesse. I got a pint of Guinness that was brilliant at £3.30. I actually Amazing. bought somebody next to me a drink because it seemed so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, looking
0: at that spending, let's uh, first let's start at the micro level because you talked about, you told me, you know, look closely at sources out your direct debit yeah. from your standing orders. Media is an absolute nightmare <sighs> here. Between Netflix, Amazon Video, Spotify, Sky, Disney+, and Apple TV, I'm spending about £120, £130 pounds a month, and I know I shouldn't be, but then I look at, you know... Amazon, well, I've got to watch this. And Disney Plus, I've got to watch that. And Netflix, I need to watch the other. Is there a way of getting around this without absolutely just
1: becoming a monk? No, I think that's part of your discretionary spends, the bits that are great at fun. I remember years ago, Amex used to sell life insurance when people got on holidays, free for a month. So people were nervous about getting on a plane, wanted to make sure they had life insurance, and people forgot about it. I'm not talking about getting the stuff that you enjoy, but it's about looking at the stuff that you don't, know you've got and why you've got it I'm not getting rid of Sky Sports Netflix or BT Sports ever because that's part of what I want to do at the weekend I want to watch Celtic play tonight there's football over the weekend with the FA Cup I want to watch it so no I'm, but I'm talking about things that you have going out that you don't necessarily need or want or enjoy but the stuff that we all like that's part of what makes life great
0: yeah I'm stopping Amazon Prime this weekend because I've, I've finished the Expanse <laughs> But final episode, so that's going. So what are the problem, direct debits? I mean, a lot of us have things going out to charities or food boxes or things that are sort of sitting away in the bank account.
1: I think, Andrew, what I've discovered, I've had people over the years say to me, can you tell me what this direct debit is for? I think if you've got 10, 20 minutes over the next week or so, it's to work out what your direct debits are and what they're for. So if you've got a Santander one, it's probably for your mortgage. If you've got a Viva, it might be life cover car, car pension. But actually write them in a book for what they are. And when you don't know what they're for, you have to ask why. Because there are people who've rang me over the years and said, I don't know what I've got. And we've had people in the past, two buildings insurance, because they've never checked. They've never cancelled one when they've moved. And it's not a fortune, but it's to find out where the money is going and making sure it's where you want it to go.
0: And you've also talked about the more substantial, more important direct debits, like insurance. You're very hot on people not having pet insurance when they don't have human insurance. Uh, Because (laughs) the cat, the cat may leave us to go on to better things, but the cat's not bringing in an income like perhaps you are. Uh, You know, so your personal insurance is of greater importance.
1: You've just summed it. up. We talked about this at work that... We have known people who've spent 75 a £100 a month on pet insurance, but if they get ill, they can't afford to pay the pet insurance. And I understand that when you take your pet to the vet, because I've got a, an aged Labrador who's now 12, that that's expensive. But I think it's a list of priorities. And insurance is about what, if it was missing or not producing an income, you need to replace. So if your car's worth £10,000, you need to insure it for £10,000. If you produce 30000 or £50,000 a year net income, you need to insure yourself. The dog in my house just costs money. It hasn't produced a penny in the 12 years <laughs> I've had it. I've been trying to get it out to work and it refuses to go.
0: I can't believe you just said, I'm going to keep Sky Sport, it gives me so much pleasure. <laughs> but the dog, who
1: cares about the dog? I love the dog, but it doesn't me? produce any money. But Sky Sports can show me Celtic winning a football game. The dog is a beautiful thing. But it's not producing any money. I have to pay the direct debits, not the dog.
0: I think the dog's more likely to show you Celtic winning at the moment. Anyway, man, let's, let's move on. The really big direct debit thing is often yeah. energy bills. Oh. And there's a lot of talk now about people wanting to come off standard direct debits and onto variable. Uh, but Martin Lewis, who you just mentioned, yeah. points out that if the standard monthly fixed direct debit didn't exist right now, he would be demanding that energy companies introduce it because spreading that cost can often be much better than paying a variable rate and that the problem is when people don't get the variable rate addressed and are effectively in credit with the energy companies.
1: I think there's people sometimes say I'm five £500 pound in credit. Why? the money in your own bank. I think Martin comes up with some really great ideas that are sensible, that help all of us. And I think you talked about Sunek wanting maths being taught to 18. I think the government at the moment would be better off prioritising how to allow people to heat the house in a way that they can afford throughout the country without having peaks and troughs. And if energy companies have got a surplus from someone, not collecting the money until it's clear. I, I think there's got to be other ways we can look at. And I think this is, especially when you look at inflation and the estimates that uh, energy costs are about 60% of the inflationary problems in this country. That's something the government need to be tackling yesterday.
0: Is it something you can tackle for yourself though? I mean, should you be, you know, send it in meter readings every five minutes?
1: I think it's what people can do if it's becoming a problem is to get hold of the energy companies and look at what other options they're offering them. People have to understand that this is a difficult period and some people are struggling to heat the house. But if you don't heat your house properly, you get ill, you get damp, you get other problems with the house. So I think it is worth picking up the phone to energy companies because they've got a responsibility to help people through this.
0: Now, another thing you can look at uh, on your big outgoings is obviously your mortgage. And we are in a tumultuous period for mortgages. Um, what should people be, be focusing on at the moment? I mean, is it even possible to get a decent deal anymore if you're coming up to a remortgage?
1: I think, Andrew, we go back to when, if you look back a year ago, you were looking at one5 to 2% to get a fixed rate. Now you're looking at anything from mid 4% upwards. So it is incredibly challenging. There are mortgages obviously out there. And the bigger the deposit you've got, if it's a remortgage, the better. But it is a considerable increase for most people.
0: I mean, other ways, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, obviously, apart from you know, magically having a <laughs> deposit to chuck in there, which very, very few of us do. Are there ways to kind of uh, prepare yourself for this or ways to sort of soften the blow?
1: I think six months before you know your mortgage is due. So if you know it's due sort of September, you should be looking at February, March, looking at what an estimate of the increased costs are, seeing where you can get the money. There's also ways you can ask the lender. So if you've got 20 years left, it goes to 24 years, 25 years, just to stretch your mortgage, to reduce your costs. It might be that you... Ask the lender that you go 75% repayment, 25% interest only. They'll want an assessment of affordability, but all mortgage lenders have to subscribe to treating their customers fairly. So they can't just say no. Now, if they've got legitimate reason, if they can see that you're giving Paddy Power, 400 pound a month on gambling, they'll tell you you can afford the mortgage, but people can look at extending the term. They can look at uh, putting part on interest only, but, There is a significant rise from where we were a year ago, and that's obviously impacting people's ability to have money to spend or save, which in some ways is what the Bank of England, the government, want to try and get inflation back under control.
0: Bank of England is expected to carry on raising the base rate this year. It's been forecast that it could reach about 4.5% at peak. What are you expecting from rates? I mean, have they have they recovered from the Liz Truss quasi-quarting reign of madness?
1: Well, there is an estimate in one of the papers recently that that mini budget is still adding 0.5% to all interest rates at the moment. But something came through from the Financial Times advisor yesterday saying to me, The headline is mortgage rates still on track to fall this year, say brokers. However, Bank of England are forecasting they'll move interest rates up again. So it was like Dan Kemp said in the December podcast, trying to guess what's going to happen just makes it very difficult because there are so many unknown circumstances. And I think with mortgages at the moment, what you have to do is look at what you can afford And if the two-year fixed rate is affordable and that allows you to budget for two years, you have to maybe take it. Maybe the tracker that you might not have wanted in the past because it's variable might allow you to get through the next 12, 18 months, assuming rates don't go back up. But if people have got problems, it is to pick up the phone to us or to ring their lender and say, this is all I can afford.
0: What about moving house? I mean, you know, if, should you be so inclined? In October, Oxford Economics said that UK house prices were overvalued by about a third and likely to fall, which, of course, is great news if you are that young buyer we were just talking about who's laying off the avocado toast. But <laughs> well, is it, is it uh, you know, do you think that seems like a very extreme scenario.
1: I think house prices are dropping, as all the reports say. But it, again, if you're moving from a £500,000 house to a £600,000 house and there's a 10% drop, your house has dropped to 450 but the one you were buying has dropped by 60,000 so you're up but again it's certain areas will suffer more than others but i think house prices are very are slowly declining but whether there'll be another crash i don't think that will happen i think there are house prices dropping and certain areas will suffer more than others but i don't think we'll see a dramatic crash i hope and we're not like we did back in uh, the 80s I'm just, but who knows because when you predict what's going to happen in the future, you just can't tell
0: well while you're spring cleaning your finances, you have to think about your savings. Rates are going up as you've just said. you're not really a fan of cash, though are you compared to what could be happening elsewhere? What should people be thinking about?
1: No, I like cash. I think six to twelve months' money of essential living, so if you need three thousand pounds a month to cover your outgoings, you need eighteen to thirty six thousand if it's a thousand a month, six to twelve thousand. After that, I'm a massive fan because the markets are quite volatile; they're up and down. Is to use spare cash to put into the markets on a monthly basis, or if you want rainy day money, you don't leave in the bank. National Savings—you've got a chance of winning. Somebody I spoke to today won a thousand pound on their investment with National Savings; they were delighted. So, National Savings is backed by the government, so it's safe if you're having rainy day cash. But I, I'm a big fan that this, at the moment, is a very, very turbulent time but it's during the turbulence that you tend to find your best value in companies and it's when you find the markets are underpriced and there's some reasonable areas to invest in
0: there is reason to believe that uh, people are saving more as you would expect them to do in, in turbulent times. Yeah. The household saving rate in the UK went up to 9% at the end of 2022 compared to 7.8% in the in the second quarter. So that model is working. When people are frightened, they save. Yeah. But there are different ways of saving, aren't there? As you just say, and I get it into the markets rather than necessarily sitting on a load of cash.
1: Yeah, there are. And the other way of saving is to re- if you look at your mortgage rate, you might want to start saving to make an overpayment when the rates go up, you might start overpaying into your savings account. So if you can save some money that when your mortgage goes from 2.1% to 4%, you might be able to add a lump sum to it. So there are different ways of saving, but as we always say, it's essential to have that essential money if something goes wrong in your life that's on hand straight away to sort that crisis out. But I think at the moment, and I think last year there'll be – in years to come, we'll see that there were some good opportunities to buy into the markets last year.
0: Saving rates are quite low. I mean, have they always have they always stayed low when interest rates rise? It's such a long time since I can well, since I had any money, you know, to, to look at this. Uh, you know, have have we always had this disparity between what your saving rate is <laughs> I, and what your mortgage rate is? My
1: personal opinion is the finance houses, the banks are just making a bigger margin than ever, and they're looking. At, they're not passing on. The cost of uh, the, the increased savings rate to borrowers they're doing it very marginally and making an increased rate now the banks will worry that their equity in people's portfolio of houses will drop but it does seem slightly unfair that as inflation is rising interest rates are rising the house the amount of interest you're getting for savings whether it's in a current account a thirty day notice account or one year seems dramatically off where it should be so no they're not there's not good value at the moment to where they should be in my opinion finally on your on
0: your financial spring clean retirement which obviously is closer for some people than it is for others and there's 57 varieties of how you might want to retire how you might have saved for it uh what your plans might be what's your counsel for january and february then
1: I think the government are trying to tell everyone they can the re- state pension will come in the day that they get buried or cremated. I think you just stick to your goals. Look, it's been last year was a very strange year, but stick to your goals about your savings, stick to your goals about your retirement planning, and stick to how what you're wanting to do. It might slightly change a little bit. It's like we always say it's a plane journey. You take off in Los Angeles to get to London. Sometimes the flight back is 10 and a half hours, sometimes it's 11 and a half, and sometimes it's under 10. And that's what we're going through at the moment, turbulence. But you just have to keep on with the plan that you're going on the plane and it is going to land safely eventually. It just, we're going through some turbulent times, so don't change your goals.
0: I mean, I know this is kind of how long is a piece of string, but is it it possible to look at what you've got and have a sense of whether you are properly on course? Because... Sticking with the plan is one thing, but you might not necessarily, you know, know, having formulated your plan, it might not necessarily take account of where we are in the future.
1: No, we can. We'll always do a cash flow for people. So if anyone says, look, can you let me know if we're on plan? What I would say is at the moment, if you're somewhere between 45 and 50, if inflation stays around this for if it stays, say, 9 percent this year, 8 percent the following year and 5 percent the following year, we think it's added five years generally, to what people wanted to retire at. So if you plan to retire at 63, we think it's going to take you to about 68. But if inflation drops, we can look at it. We'll run cash flow scenarios for people, Andrew, because it gives them a sense of where they are. And our cash flows are great because it gives you a realistic opinion of what inflation is, what it could be, and the growth rates on the funds. And that's the best way of doing it, And some years you'll think, oh, I'm going to get to retirement earlier. And other years, it might be later. But you will get there, but it's just within parameters. But yes, we can do that for people because I think it's a really good basis for your financial planning.
0: And, of course, keep an eye on the newsletter, the Mayor Brownsword newsletter.
1: Yes, uh, we sent our newsletter out on the 8th of December, which was great, and I think it got to most people in the new year. It was aiming to get there for Christmas, but unfortunately, uh, the postal strike delayed it. So if people are listening to this... Our sincere apologies. Have you heard of this thing, email Andy? It's new. Yeah, but we like, we sent our Christmas cards out and also there was a lottery ah. ticket, Andrew. And as we're filming this, <laughs> I can see the sea in the background. So obviously you're in the Bahamas because you obviously <laughs> won and didn't tell me.
0: That's just wallpaper. <laughs> so just in summary then, um, it's the first weekend in January. It's going to be raining. It's going to be dismal. What should the listeners be thinking about this weekend when
1: they're at home? What little things can they do? Go and get yourself a beer, bottle of wine or your favorite drink and sit down and just have a look at your finances. Have you got enough money for rainy day? Do you think you're on target for successful retirement? If you get ill, are you okay? And are the monies going out of your bank, do you know where they're going? Are you comfortable with where those direct debits are going? And get yourself planned for a really great year and look at what your goals are and stick to them.
0: Fair enough. And that brings us to the end of the first podcast of 2023. We hope you've been inspired to go and sort out your finances, have a little think about them. I'm going to run home and do my tax, otherwise Andy will tell me off. Andy, thanks as ever for for doing the podcast. I believe we've got a special guest on the next month's edition.
1: Yeah, we've got Ryan Murphy, a behavioural scientist, who's going to talk about goal setting and also about how to deal when the markets do get turbulent and people become fearful of investing. And Ryan is a published author, One of the best speakers I've ever seen. And we're hoping to line him up from America to be able to coordinate it. And if we can get Ryan on, it's a must listen to for everyone. So I thought I'd start this year off and then it'll just get gradually better with the guest speakers. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, that'll be this time next month. Andy, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Andrew. Happy
0: New Year to you all. Listeners, thanks for listening. As ever, don't forget to follow It's Your Money on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever apps you use. The next edition will come to your phone seamlessly when you follow us. We hope you found it useful. Here's to a good 2023. We'll see you next time.